Our scripture this morning is from Numbers 13 and 14, various verses, uh, verses 1 and 2 from 13. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. And verses 26 to 28. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. And from chapter 14, verses 1 to 4. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. Have you seen the movie, uh, The Wizard of Oz? I see from the movement, I think maybe my mic may have issues. No, keep going. Okay. <laughs> have you seen the movie The Wizard of Oz or perhaps read the books on which they are based? Now, last week, Sam uh, referred to uh, this story. Uh, for those who aren't familiar with it, it is a story about a girl named Dorothy who feels unloved and ignored at, at her home in Kansas. And she and her dog, Toto, are carried into this mysterious world called Oz uh, when her house is carried into the sky uh, by a tornado. And that's what this is, uh, what she sees out the window as she's flying in the tornado. She sees these trees and cows and a lady riding a bike <laughs> fly by. Anyway, this land of Oz in which they, their house lands is filled with wonderful and magical things like talking lions and scarecrows and munchkins who sing and eat lollipops, uh, as well as flying monkeys and witches. Ultimately, though, this story is about Dorothy's journey through the land of Oz to find her way home. Now, we're going gonna to park this story for a minute, and we will come back to it. But I want to now talk for a moment about the vestibular system. Now, this is my new word of the week, vestibular. And no, it isn't what you say to someone uh, to compliment them on their new vest. Your vest is vestibular. I think you have to be a child of the 80s to get that to tubular, tubular man reference. The vestibular system is found in the inner ear. And it is a labyrinth of tubes which are filled by a liquid which moves when your head moves. And this liquid, a moving liquid, sends signals to your brain with information about your motion, your head position, 
um, your orientation. It is also what helps us to stabilize ourselves and to keep our balance, to keep from tipping over. The vestibular system uh, is actually one of three parts of the bodies. Yeah, we're doing our, it's, a, it's our uh, phys ed uh, class this morning. Vestibular system is one of three parts of our bodies that work together to tell our brains which way is up, where our bodies are in relationship to, well, everything, particularly to the ground. The other two parts are our eyes and what is called uh, the stretch receptors. Uh, And as far as balance is concerned, it's particularly in our arms and our legs, these stretch receptors tell our brains how our muscles are moving. So our eyes tell our brains information about our body orientation and motion from what they see. Our stretch receptors tell our brain information about motion from how our muscles are being used and what they can feel. And the vestibular system tells our brains about motion from how the liquid is moving around in our ear as our heads move. When your brain and all three of these systems are getting the same information, everything's great and you have balance and the relationship between your body and the world makes sense. But when any of these three systems get conflicting signals uh, from our body, uh, our bodies and our minds get disoriented. So think of a surfer who falls off of their surfboard into rolling waves and their body is tossed about underwater. Their eyes are seeing swirling water. Their arms and legs are feeling nothing solid or stable. And the vesticular, vestibular liquid in their ears is swishing all around. And so their brains can't tell which way is up. And so this is why sometimes um, a swimmer caught in uh, a, a rolling wave will actually begin to swim down instead of swim up to try to find the surface. Think of a a fighter jet pilot, like uh, the snowbirds, although they're not fighters, jets, but uh, like the snowbirds who are doing maneuvers at up to six Gs when our vestibular system is only created for one G. The liquid in their ears as they're spinning, the liquid in their ears swishing around like in a washing machine. Gravity is pushing at them like a sumo wrestler sitting on their chest. And their eyes can't lock into anything. Or perhaps more familiar of an experience to many of us is think of that yourself on a teacup ride at the CNE or Canada's Wonderland. You know, the one where you sit in these giant teacups and they spin around while the whole floor is also spinning around. And when you get off of it, the world feels like it is still spinning even though you're standing on solid ground. And you can't even stand without tipping over. Never mind, try to walk in a straight line. And if you're really lucky, you won't throw up the confections that you unwisely ate just minutes before going on this ride. Not that I've ever done that before. Now, whether in an ocean, in an airplane, teacups, or in a car getting motion sickness, when your brain can't make sense of the signals that it is getting from the spinning world around you, it is confusing and sickening, and it makes you feel like everything is out of control. You're off balance, and you reel, and you tip over. You've got barf bag in hand. You're left disoriented. 
Now, let's come back to Dorothy in the land of Oz. Now, here's a girl and her dog, which were brought into this wonderful, magical world someplace over the rainbow. And quite frankly, uh, this concept of a place, of a magical uh, place beyond imagination, is not actually beyond a possibility for me. I mean, as believers in Jesus, uh, it is, not, is it not similar to our hope in a new heaven and new earth? A place where everyone is singing and dancing, where beautiful colors of our current world seem dull in comparison to the beautiful intensity of colors and light in the presence of the divine. And lots of lollipops. I'm thinking there's probably lots of lollipops in heaven. But what was really hard to swallow was that Dorothy and her dog, after spinning around in a tornado, spinning circles while flying up and spinning circles while flying down, that they simply get up and walk out the door in a straight line. <laughs> That's the unbelievable part. Really, come on. Anyway, I'm just kidding. Uh, I digress. But after spinning through this time of upheaval, standing on the border of a new and wondrous world, Dorothy finds herself in a place of disorientation. And like all disorientation, there's confusion, there's discomfort, there's fear. And she just wants to get back to where she came from. Even though... Moments before, she didn't like where she came from in the first place. This isn't dissimilar to where the Israelites found themselves in the passage that was read for us. Generations before this passage, God had promised a man named Abraham that his descendants would be God's people, that they would be a nation set apart for the Lord. And over time, these people, who are now called Israelites, had ended up in Egypt for 430 years. And much of this time, they were slaves to the Egyptians. For some reason, my notes printed off multiple copies of page, uh, my second page here. So in what we call the Exodus, under the leadership of Moses... God freed his people from slavery under the Egyptians so that he could lead them out of slavery and into a promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. God led them out into the desert where he gave them what he calls, called the law, or what we call the law, a way of living that would set this nation apart as God's people. And after giving them the law, God brought them to the edge of the promised land, which is where our passage today begins. And as you heard, God told Moses to send some scouts uh, into the land to check it out, to get a sense of what it's like. And these scouts came back, and they were saying, We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is the fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. So not unlike Dorothy, the Israelites had gone through this time of disorientation, a great upheaval where, like a whirlwind, the lives they knew had been left behind them. And of course, unlike Dorothy... <laughs> God himself had miraculously redeemed them from generations of slavery and had promised them this land that would be their home. 
And so here they stand on the border of a new land filled with wonderful things, but also filled with unknowns and with fears and discomfort and instability. So 12 scouts had been sent in, and upon returning, even with God's promises and the beauty and the productivity of the land that they saw, 10 of these scouts were overwhelmed with fears and uncertainties that they saw. In verse 32, says, they spread amongst the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak come from Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them. Yet two of these scouts... Joshua and Caleb came back with a very different report. In chapter 14, verse 7, they said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into the land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not be afraid of the people in the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. So do not be afraid of them. And what were the results of these two reports? Well, the Israelites in their disorientation were consumed by fear and discomfort. And so they wept and they cried all night. And they just wanted to get rid of Moses, find a new leader, one that would take them back to the home that they had, a new leader who would be willing to take them back into slavery. And as for Joshua and Caleb, the scouts who dared to say, let's trust God, let's be open to the new land that is before us, the Israelites wanted to kill them by throwing stones at them. And they definitely weren't the last religious leaders whose congregations wanted to stone them for wanting to go to new places because the people preferred to stay stuck in the past. It's way safer and more comfortable to stick with what you've always known than to adventure into uncharted territory, even if you know it's God's desire to lead you there, and even if you know you can't actually go back. Like the Israelites, many churches would rather stay in the past than be open to new places that God might lead, finding themselves having to wander the desert long enough for a whole generation to die off. However, as we are all aware, there are many times in life where even if we wanted to, the choice to go back simply isn't there. The disorientation of COVID is a great example All of us have had our worlds turned upside down, spun out of control like Dorothy in a tornado, leaving us in a world of unknowns, discomfort, fear, sickness. And it's been hard to find our balance and to reorient ourselves to a new normal. Even more so, a new normal which remains unfixed and is constantly in a state of flux. And we can't go back no matter how hard we tap our heels or how much we want to stone the leaders who tell us that we can't go back. 
Experience and research has shown that the amount of disorientation that one experiences during the COVID pandemic, and I imagine all pandemics, fluctuates. The disorientation one experiences fluctuates depending on a number of factors, but the greatest of these factors is economic vulnerability. The more wealth you have, the more you can buy a sense of normalcy. On the extreme, private jets for vacationing, but perhaps less extreme land or property to have minimally restricted personal space, jobs that don't require you to commute on public transportation or to work in close quarters with others. I read a, a fascinating article in National Geographic that was about the way that millennials and Generation Z, or Generation Z for our American friends, are being blamed for the current spread of covid Much of the narrative in the news and from politicians has been because these generations are just selfish and they are partying it up uh, thoughtlessly. Now, of course, there is a bit of that happening. Um, the idea that this is the main and only reason f for that these generations are, are getting COVID, it's actually a false narrative. Fake news, as uh, some leaders are wont to say. The biggest factor in that generation spreading COVID is not selfish partying, but is because of shifting economic economy over the past few decades. That generation is working more service jobs in retail, food service, hospitality, childcare, and those jobs are at a greater risk of exposure. The author writes, economic vulnerability severely impairs a person's ability to cope with catastrophe, and this burden falls heavily on younger generations. At the same time, I'm 45, and I'm already old enough to have that inkling of trying to blame those young kids who they don't know what it was like for us. We have to guard against it against throwing a generation under the bus without understanding what they themselves are going through. Whether young or not, though, the more economic instability that one has, the more the pandemic spins you into disorientation. So if you find yourself thinking, well, it hasn't been that bad, it's likely because largely your economic situation has afforded you that stability. COVID is an example of disorientation that we share together, though there are many different things in life that cause this kind of major upheaval and times of disorientation. Tied into COVID, but very much its own major disorienting reality is systemic racism. And thank God for the way it has been coming to the forefront of our national consciousness. As an example of a good and necessary disorientation, is the way those of us who have enjoyed opportunity, privilege, and power because of the color of our skin, we are now having to reflect on and to own our sometimes ignorant, but too often our willful, willful participation and benefit of systemic racism. We need to reflect, repent, and reconcile in ways that shift the very foundations of the ways that we dwell in the world, which is hard but it is a good orientation. The death of a loved one is another example of disorientation that all of us 
will have experienced if we haven't already. Just last week, the brother of one of my good friends died suddenly. Many of you know Kristen and her family. You saw her today in the commissioning video uh, as she is the chair of our deacons board. The news of Graham's death sent me reeling. So what was his death like for Kristen, for her parents, for the rest of her family? I can only even partially grasp and empathize, empathize for a brother, a son, a father, a friend to suddenly be gone. It is a disorientation that leaves a gaping hole, a vacuumous void in not only your life out there, but in the depth of your being. When faced with these times of disorientation, there are many negative and unhealthy responses that we all try to use to find some sense of stabilization. Like the Israelites, we try to refuse our anger, try to diffuse our anger and fear by placing blame on others, which of course only serves to make us angrier. Or we try to pretend that it isn't happening and we stick our heads in the sand, a willful ignorance that ends up causing even more suffering as a result. Or we simply try to stuff down and ignore our feelings, hiding our thoughts and fears from ourselves and from others which of course leads to all kinds of internal and external unhealth. I think, however, our greatest desire in times of disorientation is to try to go back to what we had before. We want to go home. As Alan Roxburgh writes, we have an instinctive desire to recapture the old world. Like Dorothy in the Wizard of Oz, the Hebrew slaves in the desert outside Egypt, People want to find a way back home. But we can't go back if that was even our home in the first place. What was there, what was then, if not gone, is at least drastically and permanently altered. So all we can do is move forward and find where our true home really is. How do we do this? How do we move forward when the world around us is spinning out of control? Well, remember how we talked about the ways our brain collects data from the vestibular system in our ear canals and the vision in our eyes and stretch receptors in our arms and legs. When we are tossed about, spun around, we become disoriented because our brains can't tell what is up and what is down. So the three things that our brain needs to orient ourselves to reality, I think, are great metaphors and are very biblical pictures for what we need in times of disorientation. The first is balance and posture. The stretch receptors in our arms and our legs tell our brain where our body is in relationship to the ground. And in the same way, in order to have balance, we need to find solid ground on which to steady ourselves. And we need to have a proper posture. I think you probably even guess where I'm going with this. The only unshakable foundation on which we can find sure footing, of course, is God and God alone. Psalm 18 tells us that the Lord is our rock, our fortress, our deliverer. Our God is our rock in whom we take refuge, our shield, the horn of our salvation, our stronghold. 
When the ground is shaking beneath our feet, there is no surer place to find steady foundation than on God, to stand firm on Him. Jesus tells us there that those who hear His words and put them into practice have placed their foundation. They have built their home on a solid rock. As for posture, the position that orients us properly in the midst of a swirling world is Christ-like humility with a teachable heart. For Dorothy, the reason she had to go through Oz, or at least as the good witch tells us, was because she had to learn for herself what home really was before she could go there. No one else could learn it for her, so she had to learn it for herself. Similarly, and I think more important, the Israelites on the edge of the promised land were not able to enter because of their fear, because of their lack of trust in God, and their desire to simply go back to what they had always known. Because of this, because they were not ready, they ended up having to wander in the desert for 40 years until they learned to be people of transition. Until they learned, as Alan Roxborough says, to be adaptive, and to anticipate an alternative future. So let us not stubbornly hold on to, to what things were, lest we have to wander in the desert for a whole generation. Instead, let's choose in the spirit to be humble and teachable, open to what new alternative future God may have for us on the other side of our times of disorientation. So first, we need to have a balance with our feet planted on the rock, the solid rock of God, and the posture of Christ-like humility with a teachable heart. Second, we need a proper orientation in space. When our vestibular system, that liquid in our ears, is all mixed up because our heads are spinning frantically all around for places of hope, we lose awareness of where we are, and what we need is to be reminded that where we are, where we always are, is held in the loving embrace of a Heavenly Father. No matter what things feel like, no matter if we can make sense of anything, that is where we are, always. A key biblical practice is to give voice to these experiences of senselessness and of disorientation through lament. Life can be disorienting, sickening, reeling, and our loving Father wants us to bring that to Him as He holds us weeping and crying in His embrace. Walter Brueggemann writes that uh, these, uh, the, bio, the biblical psalms of lament he says that to the use of these psalms of darkness may be judged by the world to be acts of unfaith and failure. But for the trusting community, their use is an act of bold faith, albeit a transformed faith. It is an act of bold faith on the one hand because it insists that the world must be experienced as it really is and not in some pretended way. On the other hand, it is bold because it insists that all such experiences of disorder are a proper subject for discourse, for conversation with God. There is nothing out of bounds, nothing precluded or inappropriate. Everything properly belongs in this conversation of the heart. It is okay. No, it is not okay. It is good to lament to mourn, to call out to God with everything that we are thinking and feeling, 
For doing so is an act of bold faith, and even when we are expressing doubt in God, it is still an act of orienting ourselves towards God, towards a loving Father who in the midst of all the suffering and confusion is holding us against his chest, refusing to let go and longing for us to know the depth of his love. So we are to have balance and posture to honestly or, and to honestly orient ourselves in the space that we are in. And lastly, we need gaze stabilization. Whether you have motion sickness in the car or on a teacup ride, it is because your body is telling your brain about the turbulence that is all around you. Your brain focuses on the information and your body is disoriented. Your eyes focus on the disorientation and your body becomes disoriented. The best way to fix car sickness is to give that signal to your brain that things are okay is to tell your brain, hey, we're okay, we're not spinning out of control. And we do this with gaze stabilization. Lock your eyes on something not moving. Fix your eyes on the horizon. Look neither to the left nor to the right nor backwards but forwards with your eyes fixed on the horizon. Hebrews, the book of Hebrews says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Second Corinthians 4 tells us, therefore do not lose heart, though, we are outward, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Like the Israelites, when we focus our eyes on the turmoil and the confusion, the disequilibrium, we are disoriented and unable to function, and we are left in the wilderness of disorientation. But if we are able to focus our eyes on the horizon, on Jesus, our hope, on God, our deliverer who leads us through the wilderness, it doesn't take away the reality of all that is around us. But it helps us to respond to it without getting sick, oriented towards the steady horizon that is our hope in Jesus. So when we go through disorienting times and stand on the edge of an unknown land where there are giants that make us feel like grasshoppers or witches and flying monkeys that make us tremble, let us lift our eyes to the one who is faithful and goes with us through the journey. Let us steady ourselves on a solid rock with humility and a teachable heart. And let us have the strength of faith to weep and lament well held in the loving embrace of our Heavenly Father. Let's pray. God, life can be so disorienting. disorienting. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us a way to give voice to that through lament. And we thank you, that you are faithful and that you are with us through everything, even when we don't see it, even when we can't understand it. God, we ask that you would give us faith, that you would give us the courage to lift our eyes to you, 
to stand firm on you. To receive your loving embrace in a way that gives us the courage and ability to step into the unknown with hope in you. We pray all of this in your name. Amen.